And the epigenetics can be changed from one generation to the next, depending on their nutrition, depending on their mental state. Each generation gets one more bank of epigenetic changes. In successive generations, it's like a snowball. We're seeing more and more and more of this. Are you struggling with bloating, gas, constipation, and fatigue, but don't know what's causing these problems? The Gut Health Reset Podcast with Dr. Anne-Marie Barter dives deep into the root causes behind these issues that start in the gut. This podcast will give you the knowledge you need to heal your gut and reset your health. Today on the Gut Health Reset Podcast, we are covering mental health. We're covering depression and anxiety and fatigue, which are very common problems that present in practice. A lot of folks struggle with this. We're also going to go into other disorders such as OCD, suicidal ideations, bipolar addictions, and PANS syndrome, as well as eating disorders, specifically anorexia. And we're going to link these back to Lyme disease and how Lyme can be a contributing factor in some of these issues. Thank you so much for joining us here today on the Gut Health Reset Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Anne-Marie Barter, and today I have a returning guest, Dr. Daniel Kindelaire. He was on previously talking about gut health and Lyme disease. I'm going to actually put that down below in, um, in the comments section so that everybody has access to that because it's a wonderful episode. He also has written a book called Recovery from Lyme Disease. I'm personally an avid reader. I think the book is great. I've probably read it three times, maybe more. It's an amazing read, especially for anybody that thinks they have Lyme or has been diagnosed with Lyme disease. Um, It's a great resource. Dr. Daniel Kindelaire, MD, is a nationally recognized physician with expertise in the fields of nutrition, allergy, environmental medicine, Lyme disease, and the healing of the body, mind, and spirit as a unified whole. He co-founded the New England Center for Holistic Medicine in Massachusetts and has taught extensively, including practitioner training courses at the Omega Institute, the the National Institute of Behavioral Medicine, the International Lyme and Associated Diseases Society. He created and organized a Lyme Fundamentals course, which is presented annually at the International Lyme and Associated Diseases Conferences. He is the author of several review articles in medical journals and Lyme Times. His integrated medicine practice in Denver, Colorado, focuses on the diagnosis and and treatment of tick-borne diseases. Dr. Dan Kindelaire, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast and sharing your amazing knowledge. We sort of stopped abruptly on your last podcast where we were talking about gut and we just started getting into some other things associated with mental health conditions. And I wanted to pick back up mental health conditions and Lyme where we had left off. So thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. All right. So mental health conditions, how is that associated with Lyme disease? Okay. I'm really glad you asked. It's a major, major issue, mostly overlooked like so much else with Lyme disease. So 
Lyme is famous for causing arthritis. That's not one of the main symptoms of Lyme. I think if we were going to generalize looking at the big picture of Lyme disease, we would describe it as mainly causing musculoskeletal and neurological complaints. The original investigators, the, the, the docs who, who entered Lyme, Connecticut and looked at these kids who had arthritis, they were rheumatologists. And guess what? These kids had neurological complaints too, but the rheumatologists don't pick up on that because they go you know, to different conferences than the neurologist and they don't talk to each other. So it turns out that, that Lyme disease is, is very much a neurological disorder as well as causing musculoskeletal and other problems. So if I was going to say what are the most common symptoms associated with Lyme disease once it's in a, in a chronic form? I would say fatigue, impaired cognition, headaches, muscle and joint pains, neuropathic pains, and sleep disorders and mood disorders. So the most common mood disorders, getting more directly to your question, the most common mood disorders are anxiety, depression, and irritability. Now, you can imagine if someone presents with those symptoms that basically all of the other symptoms they may have are going to be dismissed or at very least overlooked. Like, oh, well, this person's depressed or this person has an anxiety disorder, you know, and then they're sent to a therapist, a psychiatrist, maybe, or just given some medication, but no one's looking at the whole picture, which is so, which is actually part of Western medicine, right? We, docs are not trained to look at the whole picture and they don't have the time to look at the whole picture, but the mental health symptoms can predominate. And interestingly, it's often the psychiatrist or the, or the psychologist who makes the diagnosis saying, you know, I think you have an organic disorder. So I'll just describe what happened to me when I, I got Lyme in 1996. And I started off with fever and chills, but it fast developed into, I can't sleep at night and anxiety. I mean, nine out of 10 anxiety, 24 seven, you know, I felt like impending doom all the time. Later on, um, when that was complicated by yet another tick-borne infection, Bartonella, I developed severe depression on top of panic attacks, and I was suicidal. So there's a long list of mental health conditions associated with Lyme disease. And like I said, these can be predominant. So there's the anxiety and panic disorders. There's depression, which can be suicidal. In fact, suicide is the most common cause of death in people with Lyme disease. And there's bipolar disorder. There's addiction disorders. There's actually psychosis with schizophrenic issues. There's schizoaffective disorder. Uh, I'm sure I'm leaving some things out, but suffice it to say, when people have a mental health disorder and there's no obvious reason why, you know, so for example, someone who is otherwise well-balanced, doing well in life, and suddenly in their 40s, they develop an anxiety disorder out of the blue without any trigger. Whoa, you know, that deserves some investigation, right? Um, 
And it, the same with, uh, you know, they're an even keeled person and suddenly they're irritable, they're angry a lot, you know, or, you know, but flying off the handle when they never used to do it. That irritability thing is, is very, very common. So those would be the most common, the, the anxiety, depression, irritability, but it can get much worse. It can become frank psychosis. So um, one of the one of the something that's sort of fascinating and and maybe good news in terms of its treatability is I had a 16 year old patient brought in here by her mom with anorexia nervosa, and this young woman uh, refused to eat. She had been inpatient, outpatient eating disorder clinics five times was not making any progress. The only way she could, uh, she was getting her calories was through a nasogastric tube that was giving her all her calories because she refused to eat. She had this distorted body image, which so many patients with anorexia nervosa have. You know, she thought she was overweight. She clearly was not overweight. And uh, her mother uh, had raised them when she was a child. She lived in upstate New York, which is highly endemic for Lyme disease. Her mother get her tested for Lyme, was positive, brought her in to see me. Well, this young woman had four tick-borne infections. So she had Lyme disease, she had babesiosis, she had mycoplasma pneumonia, and she had Bartonella. Now, the first three of those microbes she tested positive to. Bartonella she did not test positive to, but first of all, the Tests for Bartonella are woefully inadequate. There's just a high false negative rate. So we're, off, so we're often making this diagnosis clinically. One of the things that Bartonella can do is cause these red lines on the skin. They're referred to as Bartonella stria. They're often confused with stretch marks, although they're in different planes than the stretch marks. And she had these red lines on her thighs which she interpreted as stretch marks and further evidence that she was overweight, which is really ironic, right? And that was confirmation that she had Bartonella. So she had four tick-borne infections. We treated her with a year's worth of antibiotics. Three months of that, she was on intravenous antibiotics. She went into total remission and it's four or five years later and she has had no recurrence of her eating disorder. So I wrote her up and it has been published in a medical journal uh, this past year. It was interesting as I was writing her up, I did all the research I could find on eating disorders and infections. Well, it turns out there's a whole lot of evidence of eating disorders and infections. Anorexia nervosa is quite serious as I'm sure you're aware. It's actually, anorexia nervosa has the highest mortality of any mental health disorder. So it's very important to diagnose and treat. And if there's an underlying organic issue and it's not just, you know, this psychotic disorder, but rather, you know, there's brain on fire, neuroinflammation engendering these distorted self images. It's obviously crucial to understand that and to treat it appropriately. It turns out that there are viruses that have, like Epstein-Barr that have been documented as triggering anorexia nervosa. 
There was only one other case in the literature I could find that Lyme disease triggered anorexia nervosa. And um, there was a huge population study in Denmark. In Denmark, everybody is under the national healthcare system. And there are, the, there are several large population studies that have come out of that. And over, I don't know, a 10, 15 year period where they followed over several hundred thousand people, those people um, with infections had something like a 25% higher rate of anorexia nervosa than those people who did not have infections. So this is well established in the liter literature. Something I'm very excited about is we're about to embark on a study. I'm working with a, a, a specialist in eating disorders in Massachusetts. He runs a, an inpatient clinic with 250 patients. Great man, uh, Dr. James Greenblatt. He's just had a second edition of his book published and on, on anorexia nervosa. And what we're going to do is we're going to be testing these uh, probably 25 patients with anorexia nervosa. And we're going to test them to these different microbes that I just mentioned, including strep. And we're going to test them to something called the Cunningham panel. So many people struggle with bloating, bowel issues, brain fog, fatigue. You might not even have any gut issues, but did you know the cause of it could be food sensitivities or gut infections? What I have done is I have brought a talented functional nutritionist into my practice. We have very similar training in the nutritional world. And her name is Alexis Appleberry. She is awesome. So you can head on over to our website, Alt, A-L-T, FAM, F-A-M, Med, M-E-D, and have a consultation with her and schedule so that she can help you get to the root cause of your problems. So, um, so this brings us to a condition called PANS. And I want to give a background on Yeah, PANS. what is PANS? Because I don't think everybody knows. Exactly. So here's the background. In the 1990s, uh, researchers at the National Institute of Mental Health, headed by Susan Sweeto, they, they uh, basically were the first ones to describe a syndrome where kids who are perfectly normal would get a sore throat and they'd get strep and they'd get treated, but then they would fall off a cliff and, and develop these severe mood and behavioral disorders. They would develop uh, anxiety disorders, OCD in particular, tics, depression. They would have impaired cognition. They some, sometimes develop uh, bedwetting and sleep disorders and so on. And so that condition was called PANDAS. That stands for Pediatric Autoimmune Neuropsychiatric Disease Associated with Streptococcal Infections. Since then, it's been found that there are multiple microbes that can trigger these infections, including multiple viruses, including the cold, including Epstein-Barr virus, including shingles that, and HIV, and by the way, SARS-CoV-2. It's been reported SARS-CoV-2 can also trigger this, as well as 
as bacterial pathogens, Bartonella and Mycoplasma, which are very, very common tick-borne co-infections with Lyme disease. I see it all the time in my patients. Then uh, those also have been well-documented as triggering this syndrome. Since this syndrome can be caused by multiple microbes, they've changed the name. Instead of PANDAS, it's now PANS. PANS stands for Pediatric Acute Onset Neuropsychiatric Syndrome. I would really like to have them change the name again. I think it's a bad name for a couple of reasons. One is that it's not just the pediatric population in which this occurs. And the other is it's not always an acute onset like those initial kids with the strep throats who fell off a cliff. It can be a stuttering onset or a gradual onset of anxiety, you know, a little social anxiety becoming generalized anxiety, becoming panic attacks and OCD kind of thing. So it's now been pretty well delineated what's occurring in these kids. And it's something called molecular mimicry. And for your audience, I'll just describe what we're talking about. If, uh, if you get a strep throat, you can then develop rheumatic fever if it's not treated. What's that about? Well, antibodies to the strep then can attack your heart valve because there's a structural similarity between the strep bacteria and the cells in the heart valve. So in a sense, the immune system's confused. They look alike. And now your own, your own immune system is, is actively, actively inflaming your heart valves and that's rheumatic fever. So it's an autoimmune illness, but it's also an infection. And we call that molecular mimicry because th there, there is some confusion there, you know, in terms of our own cells mimicking these bacteria. That's what happens in kids with PANS, except instead of our immune systems attacking our heart valve, they're now attacking our brain. We are talking about brain on fire. We are talking about all sorts of issues associated with that that, in, that include in particular, aberrations in dopamine transmission. And we think that that is, is probably at the crux of what is causing all of these neuropsychiatric symptoms. And these kids, it, it's bad. I mean, severe anxiety, panic disorders, OCD, and anorexia nervosa. So the, the two primary symptoms in the case definition of PANS is OCD or and or anorexia nervosa, and then two of seven other symptoms, but they're, and they're the ones we talked about. <clears throat> Excuse me. So there's anxiety and panic attacks, depression, irritability, anger, oppositional disorders, cognitive decline, uh, ticks and and other somatic issues, including the you know the bedwetting and sleep disorders and so on. But the two primary symptoms and manifestations are OCD and/or anorexia nervosa. So you know this basically pulls together what we're seeing in terms of infection, autoimmunity, and mental health issues. And in particular, coming back to my 16-year-old patient with anorexia nervosa, she probably had PANS. She actually fit the criteria if we're using the case definition criteria, even though we didn't do the test. The test is 
is the Cunningham panel. I promised to get back to that. The Cunningham panel measures antineuronal antibodies. So what we're talking about is that there are bacteria that are that our immune systems react to and that those antibodies in turn attack brain and nervous tissue and they stimulate an enzyme that impacts dopamine transmission and we see all of these neuropsych issues these are very very challenging syndromes for the kids for anyone around them they're challenging to treat once people get these uh, inflammatory disorders, they often have inflammation elsewhere in the body. So they might have, you know, the muscle aches and the joint pains and chest pain and, and, and neuropathy, although those tend to be overwhelmed by the neuropsychiatric symptoms. You know, if you're having panic attacks, you don't care if your foot hurts. And, um, and the, you know, just like chronic Lyme disease, doctors don't believe it. I, I have so many patients who say, you know, they ask their doctor about their pediatrician in particular, you know, can, can we test our kid to PAMS? Oh, I don't believe in PAMS. I, I mean, I'm, I should not be surprised anymore, but, you know, I didn't know PAMS was a faith-based issue, you know? I thought it was a medical, a science issue. Why do they think it's an appropriate response to say, I don't believe in that? But that's it's really a sad fact. There, there are only a few of us in this state who are actively diagnosing and treating it. Um, and I, we have a, a lot of patients. It's often not easy to treat at all. The primary treatment is antibiotics. But then there are all these other sensitivities that happen once the body is inflamed. So these kids develop food sensitivities. And... Um, and then those foods in turn trigger more neuroinflammation and make them nuts. So I have kids who, who uh, dairy and eggs and gluten and yeast and corn, if they have it, oh my God, the, the lid comes off, you know, we got a Chernobyl meltdown. And, um, you know, and these kids can be violent. I mean, you know, the uh, stories of the, the father usually try, having to hold the kid to stop the kid from destroying the house and, or destroying their sibling. You know, it, these are really, really serious disorders. So uh, we're seeing more and more of this. And, and um, we did a study, you know, after, after I saw that young woman with anorexia nervosa, I had a doctor sitting in with me. Pre-COVID, I always had doctors sitting in with me, right? And uh, this was Dr. Nancy Brown, who's in Louisville, Colorado. And I said to Nancy, I said, wouldn't it be great if we could test a cohort of patients with anorexia nervosa and see how many of them have tick-borne infections? And she said, well, you know, I'm the medical director at a residential treatment center for adolescents with mental health disorders. And we got permission to do an investigation there. And I think this is really important. Now, this they did not have patients with eating disorders. They were not equipped for that. But all of them were DSM-5 diagnosed with major depressive disorder. Most of them had generalized anxiety disorder. Many of them had made suicide attempts, serious suicide attempts. 
cutting and so on, they did not have any known organic disorders, but they were too sick to, to hack it at home to go to school. And so they were in this residential facility actually right here in Estes Park. So uh, we got permission and we took 10 kids at random and we tested them. And the, this is what came out of the testing. If we use strict criteria, six out of 10 had evidence of exposure to tick-borne pathogens. If we use more liberal criteria that a doctor like myself would use, that uh, a Lyme literate medical doctor, nine out of 10 had exposure to tick-borne infections. But nine out of 10 were significantly positive on the Cunningham panels. That is nine out of 10 had, had autoimmune encephalopathy, that's the technical term. Cephalopathy, as you know, that's just, that's, that's some pathology of the brain. You know, there's something wrong with the brain. So encephalopathy or encephalitis, the inflammation of the brain and autoimmune encephalitis. And no wonder, you know, they had such severe mental health issues. This was not because they hated their mother or, you know, didn't fit in with their friends at home. You know, these kids had fire on the brain and no one's, no one is diagnosing it. As we all know, the incidence of mental health disorders in all age groups is going up, but particularly in, in youngsters and adolescents. And here we have this 10 kids chosen at random with serious mental health disorders, nine out of 10 of them with evidence of tick-borne infections and autoimmune encephalitis. Well, you know, it's, it's a very small study. We don't have any controls. It was hard for me to get that published for just those reasons. Uh, it is published now. And, and now we are doing finally that anorexia nervosa study and we will have a larger cohort and we're gonna have uh, a control population. And so I'm, I'm trusting that it'll be easy to get this one published. But, um, but just think of the potential of how big an issue this could be. Because you know what we're seeing is in the past hundred years, a real change in our health, and I mean both physical and mental health. I don't, I don't even separate those two. There have been so many changes in the human condition and in the Western world and United States in particular. So just think about it, Ann. We're talking about wholesale changes in our diet with, among other things, the sugar in our diet going up like, like, the re, like a reverse avalanche here. And, um, but also, nutrient depletion because of soil depletion and so on. Um, we've turned to having tons more carbs. That's really since the, since the 70s or so. And now we have all this diabetes and obesity that we didn't have before then, people don't remember. But a lot of other things have changed. Look at all the additives they're putting. You know, you read the ingredients in a processed food and you can't pronounce half of them. And then think of the hundreds hundreds of thousands of xenobiotic agents, chemicals, that we've never, the human condition has never been exposed to these before. It's, I mean, you can't 
find anywhere on the planet now where you're not exposed to these things. So it's not just pesticides and herbicides, but you know, you go inside and everyone's got air fresheners and the outgassing from the carpet and the paint with all that formaldehyde. But like I said, hundreds of thousands of these, we have no idea what the toxicity is. But what we do know is that they have the capacity to change epigenetics. So I'm gonna describe what that is for, for uh, the, the people who are listening. While our genes generally don't change except over millennia with uh, so-called natural selection, there are proteins that sit on our genes and they turn the genes on and off. And the epigen, excuse me, the epigenetics can be changed from one generation to the next, depending on their nutrition, depending on their mental state, depending on, on the chemical exposure. Um, and it, it's, uh, so each generation gets one more bank of epigenetic changes. They're not, we're not born with a, with a clean slate, but, but then it, it, in successive generations, it's like a snowball. We're seeing more and more and more of this. And I just wanna mention one other huge change in the human condition, which is the breakdown of extended families and community. The breakdown in safety, real safety. Um, you know, now, as you know, we've gone from that to nuclear families, more, more and more single parent families, some no parent families, you know, people living on the street. I mean, we didn't, you know, when I was a kid growing up, we didn't have homeless. There may have been down on the other side of the railroad track some alcoholic and junkies that I never saw them. Now they're on every street corner. You know, like what what the hell is going on here? And um, I won't get into a whole political tangent about that one, although we should maybe. But um, but the point is that that affects our nervous systems and that affects our metabolism that affects that 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 is actually passed on to the next generation ptsd can be inherited i mean it's crazy right but but when you add all that up you what we're seeing is an epidemic of a lot of illnesses so much for for being here and and sharing your knowledge. I mean, always you just have a plethora of knowledge. You're always learning more every time I talk to you. So it's pretty amazing. It was amazing to to hear you speak today. So thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the Gut Health Reset Podcast. Please make sure you subscribe, leave a rating and a review so more people can hear about the podcast. And hey, take a screenshot of this episode and tag Dr. Anne Marie on Instagram or Facebook at Dr. Anne Marie Barter. And for more resources, just visit DrAnneMarieBarter.com.